Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of Bard and Bougie. My name's Madiba, and I'm an attorney who does racial and gender justice work. I also write about social justice issues, and you may have seen my work in places like Vice and Huffington Post. I'm starting Bard and Bougie for three main reasons. First of all, there are so many political and legal issues today that have huge impacts on people's lives, particularly the lives of women and people of color. Second, most folks don't fully understand how the law works, or how it could and should work. And third, too often, women and people of color are ignored by mainstream media. They're not interested in breaking down what things mean for folks like us. So I want to break it down for you. Each week here on Bard and Bougie, I'm going to analyze a different legal and political issue. I'm going to do so in a way that makes sense for both law people and lay people. And I'm going to try to do so in around 20 minutes or less. And with that, let's get started. On this first episode, I want to talk with you all about the ongoing immigration crisis. For the past several months, the Trump administration has been engaged in an immigration crackdown. They've claimed that this crackdown is focused on gang members, specifically MS-13. They also claim that loopholes in immigration law prevent the government from confronting MS-13 fully, so any policy change they make is justified. But the people most impacted by Trump's new policies aren't gang members at all. They're people who have been here, and their only real offense was how they got here, and people who are trying to get here fleeing horrific violence in their home countries. Let's begin with how people who are already here are impacted by recent immigration actions. The agency that's taxed with identifying, detaining, and deporting people charged with violating immigration law is called ICE, which stands for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. ICE was created in 2003 and is under the jurisdiction of Homeland Security. Since there's only so much time and money in the world, ICE used to have enforcement priorities. This basically means, let's use our resources to focus on the people who are the biggest threat to public safety. The people that really matter. This is the government's way of being like, this ain't Pokemon, you can't catch them all. Just make sure you got Pikachu and call it a day. John Kelly was asked about enforcement priorities in January 2017 at his confirmation hearing for Secretary of Homeland Security. Specifically, Senator Kamala Harris asked if he would deport the children of undocumented people who have spent their whole lives in the United States. John Kelly told the Senate that law-abiding individuals would not be at the top of the list. ICE quickly changed its tune. Just a few months later, the acting director of ICE pretty flatly told all undocumented people to get wrecked. He straight up said, and I'm quoting here, you should look over your shoulder and you need to be worried. The head of ICE argued that we shouldn't wait for non-criminal undocumented immigrants to become criminals. If we're being honest, we would be waiting for a while because all data shows that immigrants commit fewer crimes than folks who were born here, but ICE doesn't actually care about that. ICE also said it's important to arrest non-criminals because otherwise it sends the message that so long as people get into the country, they can stay unless they're caught breaking another law. This strikes me as a pretty troubling deterrent morally and just a waste of time and money practically, but that's the current landscape. The government is actively trying to scare people that they admit haven't really done anything wrong. 
and you best believe there is some bite to go with that bark. In 2017, ICE arrested and deported 46,000 people without criminal records. I'll say that again, 46,000 people. Imagine filling every seat in Madison Square Garden and then do so again, and you would still have some people left over. It's wild. It's also an 171% increase in the number of non-criminals arrested by ICE compared to the year before a certain Fanta-complexion fascist entered the White House. These people, who, again, have no criminal record, have been arrested in their workplaces, in schools, in courthouses, even in hospitals when they're seeking medical treatment. Shockingly, ICE has also said that they may arrest and detain undocumented immigrants when they show up to interviews with federal immigration officials to legalize their status. Kafka would be so proud. There's also evidence that ICE retaliates against immigrants' rights activists by targeting them for arrest and deportation. All of this traumatizes communities, and it creates a real chilling effect on people's ability to access the services they need. It's pretty transparent that these policies and the way they've been weaponized against people of color have nothing to do with people following the law or trying to do things the quote-unquote right way. It has everything to do with ethnic cleansing. Also, I recognize I've been focusing a lot on people who haven't committed any crime because that's the most damning in my opinion, but it's worth noting that even when ICE targets people who have committed crimes, often they're low-level crimes like traffic offenses. Imagine you change lanes without signaling and for that, you're uprooted from the country you call home. A solid sixth of the convictions for arrestees logged by ICE were just for weed possession or other unspecified marijuana offenses. Weed is legal in nine states and DC, <coughs> and it's effectively legal for white people anyway. <coughs> Sorry, I had some hypocrisy in my throat. Let me get a lozenge. Point is, taken together, these actions make the world a deeply scary place for undocumented immigrants. And if we want to be really real, it's also scary for people who are assumed to be undocumented. Just being brown in public or speaking Spanish can be enough to arouse the suspicions of immigration agents. ICE ain't even sneaky about their racism anymore. In one case from last year, agents lined up a bunch of Latinos at their workplace and asked the white employees to lead them to more Latino coworkers. Subtle, y'all. Real subtle. Another agency it's important for y'all to know about is Customs and Border Patrol, or CBP. CBP and ICE are kind of like Crab and Goyle, where Draco Malfoy is white supremacy. CBP is the largest federal law enforcement agency of Homeland Security, and Border Security is one of its three core missions, along with counterterrorism and trade enforcement. Basically, they're supposed to guard the border to keep the terrorists out and let the money in. If only it were that simple. Even though CBP has border in the name, Border Patrol agents actually have authority to operate within 100 miles of any U.S. external boundary. Some whole states fit within 100 miles of a border. In fact, two-thirds of the U.S. population, or about 200 million people, live within this border zone. That's 200 million people who CBP can stop at virtually any time and ask if they're a citizen. 
There is no law requiring that you need to be a citizen or carry a green card in order to use roads. But now we have CBP boarding buses and asking people to prove their immigration status. They're harassing people who they assume, based on stereotypes, are undocumented. It's no surprise then that both ICE and CBP have actually had U.S. citizens deported. Going after people known to be U.S. citizens is the newest wave of the immigration crackdown. Earlier this month, an agency called U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS for short, announced that it's starting a denaturalization task force. Denaturalization is a very rarely used process that takes away people's citizenship, specifically people who obtained citizenship after they came to this country and overcame a bunch of legal hurdles. The last time the federal government had a concerted effort to denaturalize citizens was during the McCarthy era 75 years ago when they were going after alleged communists. So, not our finest moment. Trying to denaturalize legal citizens further proves that the Trump administration is not actually concerned with people not following the law. A former chief counsel of USCIS has openly expressed concern that the real goal of this task force is to discourage people from lawfully seeking naturalization and scare people, people like me, who are naturalized citizens. Make America afraid again, I guess. So, now that we've gone into how people who have been in the United States are affected, let's talk about the disaster at the border and what's happening to people trying to come here. Federal law permits any non-citizen who is in the United States or arrives in the United States to legally apply for asylum. That's true whether or not they come through what's called a designated port of entry. But on April 6th, the Trump administration announced what they called a zero-tolerance policy, under which they would criminally prosecute any adult who enters the U.S. without going through a designated port of entry. This is the policy that has families being separated by CBP and children placed into detention centers. In the wake of backlash, Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen claimed that the policy didn't exist. You know, like a liar. Trump then lied again and said that Democrats came up with the policy. The final lie was from Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who just wants to eat her dinner and defend kidnapping brown children in peace. Sarah said, that this policy was just Homeland Security properly following the law. That, too, is a lie. The truth is, crossing the border and seeking asylum is completely legal. This new zero-tolerance policy is not. On top of violating asylum law, there's a strong argument to be made that this violates families' right to due process under the 14th Amendment. Yes, you heard correctly, folks. The Due Process Clause of the Constitution applies to persons, not just citizens. So if you hear, as I've heard, people saying immigrants don't have any constitutional rights, please politely invite them to have several seats. The real issue, though, as I've mentioned, is that these rights are being trampled. Since the introduction of Trump's zero-tolerance policy, thousands of children have been separated from their parents, scattered across at least 100 facilities in 17 different states. Many parents were lied to about why their children were being taken and for how long they would be separated. Without their parents' consent, children were placed into the custody of strangers for weeks or even months at a time. Kids in these conditions have serious mental health needs, and there have been many reports of anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. 
multiple lawsuits have been filed from civil liberties groups and state governments about the cruel and unconstitutional treatment in these facilities. Some of the alleged abuses include giving asylum seekers bleach-tainted drinking water that burned their throats, and still frozen food that made them vomit, keeping them in extreme temperatures, not accommodating basic hygiene needs, sexual assault, and dosing children with mood-changing drugs disguised as vitamins. All of this is deeply disturbing. It's also disturbing to me that the Trump administration put this zero-tolerance policy in place with no plan to reunite these families. The federal government is effectively making orphans of some of these children and scarring them and their parents for life. Even when some of the children were reunited with their parents, having been gone for months and at such a young age, some didn't even recognize their parents anymore. To me, there's very little more heartbreaking than that. I also don't know what will come of the children whose parents were already deported separately. Worse, the government doesn't know either. I do know that there are federal contracts with the Christian pro-life adoption agency called Bethany. So one could speculate that they'll try find some nice white evangelical families to take these kids in, but I recognize that this is conjecture on my part. For what it's worth though, Forcibly transferring the children of an ethnic group to another with the intent to destroy that ethnic group, even in part, constitutes an act of genocide under an international convention the U.S. ratified 30 years ago. I'm just saying. Defenders of the zero tolerance policy have responded to these events by saying, well, if you don't want your child separated from you, don't cross the border with your child. Or don't cross somewhere other than a designated port of entry. And you're a bad parent anyway for taking your kid on this treacherous trip. But there are a couple things wrong with this argument. For one, as I've stated, asylum is legal, regardless of whether you come into the country at a port of entry. Two, multiple news outlets have reported that immigrants are being turned away from ports of entry anyway, so they don't actually have the option to do things the quote-unquote right way. Three, as the poet Warshan Shire has said, no one puts their children on a boat unless the water is safer than the land. These parents are out here making hard choices, trying to protect their kids from harm. I'm not going to fault someone for taking a chance at safety rather than accepting the certainty of danger to their child. And four, do I really have to explain to y'all that kidnapping is bad? Like, the government is out here holding children hostage in our names. This is unspeakably cruel, and we shouldn't even be having this discussion. Kids are being taken from their parents against their will, with no real intention of putting the families back together, and giving psychiatric drugs to control their behavior. It sounds like a Criminal Minds episode. If anyone else did this, we would be talking about prosecutions and jail time. Instead, we're seeing children some of whom have been on this earth for less time than it takes to get a law degree, told to defend themselves in immigration court, since those courts have no guaranteed right to counsel. There is no doubt that some people being deported would qualify for relief if they actually had access to an attorney. If this treatment of immigrants seems dystopian to you, it's because it's completely dystopian. Unfortunately, it's also completely unsurprising. Historically, dating back to the Chinese Exclusion Act, 
America's immigration system prioritizes white immigrants and tries to limit all others. Also, let's not forget that the Marmalade Menace kicked off this whole campaign by calling Mexicans rapists and conflating all brown immigrants with gang members. This history of legalized and institutionalized discrimination gets us to where we are today. Now that we have a better grasp on immigration policies and how they impact people of color, I want to quickly talk about the growing political movement to abolish ICE, and then we'll wrap up. Given all of the abuses I described, and some others I haven't even touched on because I could go on all day, many progressives are now trying to imagine a world without ICE. It shouldn't be too hard to imagine, since ICE has only been around since 2003. Lilo and Stitch is older than ICE. We can live without it. Live without ICE, I mean, not live without Lilo and Stitch. Ohana means family. ICE was created in response to 9-11, but what started as a concern with terrorism has morphed over time into rounding up random brown people. Prompted by these injustices, writer and activist Sean McElwee really catapulted calls to abolish ICE into the mainstream. Dozens of congressional candidates are now campaigning on abolishing ICE, and some are winning their primaries. Shout out to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez recently won the Democratic nomination for my congressional district, and she said that she's ready to set up a congressional investigation into ICE abuses on day one. Democrats currently in Congress are also preparing to introduce legislation that would abolish ICE. I want to be clear. A lot of this immigration enforcement stuff has gotten worse, but it was already bad, and it's not new. Detention and deportation increased under President Obama, although not nearly to the degree we're seeing now. The infrastructure already existed. It's like this car was in America's driveway, and then we handed over the keys to Donald Trump and co, who was real hype about running over as many brown people as possible. If you take one thing from this episode, let it be this. Immigration is a legal issue, but the Trump administration's actions are not about the law. They're about using the power of the government to oppress people of color and create a white ethnostate. It's not an exaggeration to say that this is a fight for the soul of this country. Or, like, what's left of its soul anyway. Soul looking like Voldemort on this last horcrux, but I digress. It should go without saying that immigration status is not a justifiable reason to lose your kid. It should go without saying that we shouldn't be aspiring to lock people up indefinitely for crossing an imaginary line on stolen land. This doesn't make the country any safer. It probably makes the country less safe given the truly absurd amount of resources we're diverting to these kiddie concentration camps. And it's emboldened racists to threaten to call ice on brown folks because they know it's a weapon against people of color. No country with a conscience should be engaging in this behavior. If you're as fired up about this issue as I am, there are things you can do to help, even if you're not a lawyer. I'm going to post on the Bard and Bougie Facebook page a list of immigrants' rights groups in case anyone wants to volunteer their time or donate money or just learn more about the issues. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully you all feel like you understand today's immigration crisis a little bit better and can go forth in the world armed with this new knowledge. I'm really excited about this podcast, and I hope you are too. If you like this first episode, you should subscribe and share with your friends who should also subscribe. 
Bard and Bougie is available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podbean. These streaming services will also let you leave comments, rate episodes, all that good stuff, which I strongly encourage. If you want to talk about the episode, or if there are topics you want me to consider for the future, you can also hit me up on the Bard and Bougie Facebook page, or use the hashtag Bard, B-A-R-R-E-D, on any social media platform. I'll be on the lookout. Thanks again, y'all, and tune in for a new episode next week.